Mm-hmm. Can you imagine speaking up here and at the foot of your feet is a cup of chocolate? I moved it over now, but what a temptation. It's kind of like, get behind me, Satan. Chocolates. Come on. Everybody loves chocolates. Be funny, eh? If I'm in the middle of me doing Bible study, I just cracked open a chocolate and began to eat it and make you all salivate. We're continuing in Philippians. We started last week in this awesome letter. You know, it's one of the letters that Paul did not reprimand. We are going to see an opportunity tonight where Paul had to reprimand, and yet he didn't. Um, this whole letter is, is an, an encouraging letter, um, and I did, I did say last week, perhaps, perhaps the Philippian church was like Joseph to his dad. Perhaps they were his favored church. Um, but that is the way I see it. But we're going to pick up at, at uh, verse chapter 12. We saw last week how uh, the church was birthed and, and um, how Lydia was one of the key people in the birthing of the church when Paul and Silas had entered <clears throat> into Philippi and they were searching out for a place of prayer and uh, they don't find one, that, but they find this woman of God, Lydia, and they share with her and, and um, then Paul is put into jail and there is another man that is converted in all of his household. Go back to last week, listen to it if you weren't here or if you forget, because if I recap it all, then guess what? We won't hear tonight, but let's pick up at verse 12, and it says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ for, from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will full excuse me that but that with full c courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death for me to live is Christ and to die is gain if i live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which i shall choose i cannot tell 
I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents this is clear this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from god for it has been granted to you that for the sake of christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I will still have. And so Paul opens this letter. He opens it with, I want you to know brothers. Last week when he opened the letter, he opened it to the servants of Christ. He opened it to the servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. But tonight, uh, but uh, this specific verse in verse 12, tonight we see him using this expression, brothers. And in other words, he's looking at them as the family of God. He's seeing them as his dear siblings in the Lord, his brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's because in the Greek, it's adophi, and in the adophi, that, that word, it gives reference to family. It gives reference to siblings. And so when Paul addresses them tonight in, in our text, he is addressing them in that family of God perspective. Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews 10, 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, the house of God through the blood of Jesus, the only way we can be brothers and sisters in the Lord is through the blood of Jesus, because we are not in flesh, brothers and sisters. So he's addressing his own spiritual family, and he's like, I need you all to know something. I want you to know something that will encourage you as much as it has encouraged me, he says. And that it, despite what has happened to me, has really has served to advance the gospel. Now, could you imagine he's wanting them to be encouraged that what has happened to him is for the advancement of the gospel? So what has happened to Paul in this point when he's writing them the letter? He has been beaten. Now, he hasn't just beaten, been beaten as in pushed around and shoved and punched or kicked. He has been beaten with, what, with these um, I, uh, instruments, if you want to call it that, uh, called uh, fasce. If you, if you want to think of it this way, the fascist movement in Rome 
it, it acquired that name through these bundles of like birch sticks. And at the end of the bundle of that stick was an axe. And so the, the imperial guards and those of, of the Roman government would walk with those type of weaponry on them. So when Paul was beaten, this is the type of beaten that he came under with such, a, such an instrument, such a weapon, okay? So it wasn't just a matter of being kicked or shoved or punched. It was a matter of being whipped in, in that form of a style. This uh, bundle of rods with the axe on the end, it was used in those days as a form of uh, a capital punishment. So when somebody would come under correction, and, and, and later on in just a few moments, when he talks about living is Christ and dying is gain, the type of death that he would have gone through, that type of execution would, would have been with such a, a weaponry. He would have been really, um, the, the, the punishment would have been in force. So they, these magistrates upon the command, um, these guards upon the command of the magistrates would have inflicted pain with these types of weapons. So Paul is saying, I want you to know that what has happened me, to me has really served to advance the gospel. I have endured beatings so that the gospel can go forward. I have been put in prison so that the gospel can put, be put forward. To imagine that he is not even seeing it in a, oh, whoa. Like, do you guys get the trouble that I've seen? Like, you don't understand. Did you know how, how, how much they have beat me? Do you know how? He didn't, he didn't present it in a, in a woe is me type of perspective. He presents it in a way that I have endured beating, but the gospel has gone forth. I've been put in prison, but the gospel has gone forth. He has said it in a way that they could only see the good that has come of it. He is possibly facing execution, and yet the gospel is going forth. So even though Paul doesn't take the time to go into the details, we know from what we have read last week that he was beaten. We know that he, he has gone through suffering. And through the lens of his pain and through the lens of his suffering, he is filled with joy to know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is going forward. I don't know, but does that not challenge you in your heart tonight? That through the lens of his pain and his suffering, he is thrilled and filled with joy that the gospel is going forward? He is there in prison, and he is filled with joy. He uses a phrase here in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard as to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guard refers to the, the praetorium, the, um, those, those that were, were overseeing him. Now, what we don't know is, did Paul write this out of Caesarea Ephesus, this letter, or did he write it out of Rome? Now, 
Uh, some scholars think he wrote it while he was in Caesarea or he was in Ephesus. I think he wrote it from, from Rome, and we're going to, to study this letter as if he wrote it from Rome. Um, and if he wrote it from Rome, it makes perfect sense because then while he was in Rome, Epaphrodites came and he delivered him a gift from the brothers and sisters. That's how the, letters, the letter opens. And while he delivers him this gift, and we saw this last week, uh, he gets sick and he has to stay with him for a while. But in order for Paul to have visitation and in order for Paul to receive anything, um, they would have been bound in that prison to a guard. So it would either be bound by manacles, um, those, were, those were chains or, or, or uh, what do you call them? Like shackles, thank you. I had a brain freeze. Shackles, and it would either be on the arm, from his arm to the, to the uh, guard's arm, or from the, the pentacles, the feet, Okay, and, and, and it would be from his ankles, his feet, his legs to the, to the guard's feet. And so that would allow him to have the one hand that was free to, to write uh, the letter, the, free to, to visit with guests, free to be seen by others. And so he says in verses 13, verses 14, and verses 17 of tonight's text, he refers to his imprisonment. He refers to the fact that he was in prison. But while he is in prison and while he is bound to another guard, guess what that guard is being exposed to? Do you think that he just sat there and said, so um, what did you do yesterday when, you know, the shackles were removed from you and put onto the other guard? What did you do with your family last night? While he was there shackled to this other guard, the, the word of God was being shared to that guard. You could be sure because he says that it served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He is put there, he is in prison because he was sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't think for one moment that while he was in prison, he stopped sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of those guards that would have been bound to Paul would have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, would have heard the message and so Paul is sharing with us, it is a joyful place for me because I see the gospel going forth. It has been for the advancement of the kingdom. However, there's a bit of a curveball. And I like how he approaches this curveball because as I said in his other letters, when he had to confront them for stuff that was going on within their community of, of congregation, he confronted them head on. But in this situation, Paul is very loving towards this group of people. Listen to what he says, verses 15 to 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. 
the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. There were those that were there that understood that... Um, that Paul was not just some other prisoner, but that Paul was a part of God's plan, that Paul delivering the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, that was a part of his plan. But there were those that had envy. There were those that had rivalry. They had pretense. They had selfish ambition. And I like how Paul confronts them. He doesn't say, listen, you, that, that, that just have your own ambition. You want to see yourselves exalted. You want to see yourselves as... as as the one delivering the message and so you're trying to work on me and he didn't call them out he just said there were those that had envy there were those that and most of the brothers having be oh geez i lost my it was verse 15 and um some indeed preach christ from envy in rivalry but others from good will he doesn't call them out but he names exactly what they were doing. There were those in the, in the church that were preaching out of envy, envy. This group had a different motivation. They had a different goal in mind. The motivation was that they were going to stir up envy in Paul. That Paul would see them delivering the message. And Paul would see the great success that they would have. And that perhaps this would cause Paul to be jealous oh they're getting the message out i mean i i've been the one that's been delivering the message i've been the one that's been going from place to place i'm paul the missionary paul the apostle who's brought the word and so they're doing it out of the motivation to stir up envy in paul's heart to stir up jealousy in paul's heart because of their success and paul's saying you know what the word of god is going forth you know what? People are getting saved regardless of your motivation. You may be trying to make me jealous. You may be trying to make me envious because it seems as though people are interested in what you have to say. People like that the, the, your preaching style. People like the way you're delivering it. But you know what? I'm not going to be envious. I'm just glad that people are hearing the word of God. I'm rejoicing the fact that people are getting saved. You're doing it out of envy, out of rivalry. You have a pretense about you. You have a selfish ambition. But I'm not stirred by that. I'm not taken back by that. I'm rejoicing that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is going forward. I'm rejoicing that there are others in the kingdom that are becoming saved, that the Roman Empire is hearing the word of God. You see, their motivation should have been for the lost souls. Their motivation should have been to see that, you know what? I experienced God's love. I have tasted of his forgiveness. I want you to taste of that forgiveness. I want you to encounter his love. I want you to know what it's like to be loved by God. And those were the ones that were going forth 
of verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So there was two camps. One that was trying to stir up, look how great we are. Look at our delivery. Look at, look at the success that we're having. And the other camp that is saying, Paul shared the gospel with us. And we learned of this Christ who died for us. And we've encountered that grace. And we've tasted of it. And we want as many as we can share it with to know of this love of God. And so Paul, while he is in jail, while he is bound to that other guard, that other person in that Siamese position, if you want to say, he is not taken back. Their objective may have been to try to create some sort of envy and jealousy, but Paul's heart is not being swallowed by that. He doesn't rebuke them. Can you imagine? Like, sometimes I, I think to myself, why did he choose in this moment not to rebuke them? But in other letters, he clearly chose to rebuke. He ch clearly chose to bring, if you want to say, the rod of correction to the people. And I believe it just demonstrates all the more his humility for the gospel going forth. Lord, you deal with them. Have you ever been in a situation where you've wanted to speak up, you've wanted to say something, or perhaps like Paul, where people are stirring to try and make you envious, to try to make you jealous. And you want to say something, but you know what? You realize that saying something may just put a damper on the whole thing. Lord, you deal with the whole picture. And I believe that's what, God, what Paul did. That I believe that was the heart of Paul. Lord, if I speak up and bring correction, which I can, I just may damper this whole thing. But Lord, I'm going to choose to see through your lens. And your lens is people are coming to the kingdom. Your lens is you are seeing those that are getting saved. So I'm not going to see the negativity or the motive of their heart and allow it to affect me. Lord, I'm going to leave that to you. And I'm going to rejoice in the lives that are being saved. And that stirs me when I see a response like this. Amidst the fact that there were those that were not sincere, amidst the fact that there were those that had their own motives and selfish ambitions, Paul knew that there were those that preached from a genuine place, the place of love. The place of tasting of God's goodness. The place of tasting and knowing of God's grace. And wanting others to know of that same grace. But he says this in verse 18. Whether in pretense or in truth. Whether from false motive or true Christ is preached. That's basically what he is saying. Whether their motives are false or whether they are true, Christ is being preached. 
That is what we're going to focus on. A.W. Tozer, I like to uh, read his quotes. As a matter of fact, on one of my social media things, I have um, where his quotes can be sent to me because I, I kind of think he's a, a, a good, <laughs> a good um, writer. But he says this in one of his books called The Book, um, called The Price of Neglect. And he says this prayer, Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth henceforth to compete with any of thy servants they have congregations larger than mine so be it i rejoice in their success they have greater gifts very well that's not in their power nor in mine i am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and for my smaller ones i only pray that i may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel one or another in thy holy work. I herewith make a blanket dissolval of all intrinsic worth, I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the foot of the cross and my own uh, and own myself the least of thy people. If I err in myself judgment and actually under, underestimate myself, I do not want to know it. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as it were my own. And indeed it is my own if it's thine own. For what is thine is mine. And while one plants and another waters, it is thou alone that gives the increase. A.W. Tozer, he understood where Paul was at. He understood the heart of Paul. He understood the word of God when, when Paul was not challenged by the selfish motives of another. Paul, Paul was like, great, I applaud you. The word of God is going forth. The gospel is being preached. May that be the thoughts of some of us as we scroll through our social media on a Sunday afternoon and some of our friends have posted all this great stuff that's happening at their church. And you know that's not what it's not about. It's not a competition of what church looks the better or what church is bigger or what church has the better it's about the word of God going forth. It's about the gospel of the Lord Jesus going forth. It's about people being saved and lives being changed. That's at the foot of the cross. That's where it's at. If somebody wants to boast in how big their church is and, and, and all that happened in their Sunday morning service, so let them boast. If God gave them that area, this is what A.W. Tozer said. He says, you know what? If God gave them that great ability, then so be it. I'll be humble in my little ability. As long as it's for God's glory. As long as it's for God's glory. Job 15 verse 16 says, 
Oh, excuse me, Philippians 1.19 in the NIV says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He, he shifts a bit. He shifts from, from this group that is, that is uh, preaching out of, out of pretense, and or he's saying whether it's in pretense or in truth, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, will turn out for my deliverance. Remember Job? In Job 15, verse 16, he says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. Where is Paul's hope? Paul's hope is in the Lord. Where is his ambition? His, his ambition is in Christ. Why? Because he knows that in his deliverance, it will turn out for his good. How will his deliverance turn out? On what piggyback? On the backs of the prayers of those that are praying for him. On the, ba- on the prayers of the Philippians, th- that through your prayers, God's provision of the Spirit, Everything is going to work out. Paul fully believed in the power of prayer. That's why Wednesday nights we come together for prayer. That's why Tuesday mornings we come together for prayer. That's why Wednesday afternoon there is prayer. That's why Saturday mornings the men pray. That's why Friday nights on Zoom there is prayer. Why? Because like Paul, we fully believe in the power of prayer. That through prayer, God has full control. Through our prayers, we're recognizing the only way healing will come, the only way salvation will come, the only way prodigals will return home, the only way breakthrough will happen is through the power of prayer. And so here is Paul. He knows that there's he, through his imprisonment, what is ahead of him is that he's going to have to stand before Caesar. Of Nero. And that situation looks really dark. That situation looks really bleak because as he stands before Caesar, Caesar of Nero, he is going to have to give a defense for the gospel. Why was he put in jail for preaching the gospel? So now he's going to have to stand before for Caesar and he's going to have to give a defense for that gospel. Already it looks bleak. Already it looks as though he could be facing execution. But he's saying, I know of the power of prayer. I know that there are a group of people that are praying for me. And I am trusting that in those prayers... God will bring through my deliverance. I know that when I stand before Caesar, God is going to give me all the words that I need to say. Because in his word, he promised that he would give us the word that when we stand before the judges, that he would give us the words that we would have to say. He would give us the answer. So his needs were met and he would be okay. Let's read that, those two verses again, 19 and 20. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation 
and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or by death. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed. He trusted so much in the power of prayer that he knew that however God was going to answer, he would not be ashamed. Do you have that same type of confidence? You see, sometimes we pray and we say, well, I hope that the Lord will die dot, dot, dot. But there's an element in our, I hope that the Lord will, and finish the sentence, that we're worried that if he doesn't, that maybe we would be ashamed before that person. So let me give you the example this way. If Paul is believing that he is going to be set free from that jail cell. And if he is believing that when he speaks before Caesar, that God would give him the words that he would, that Caesar would then see that he was to be released. Shame would come if anything otherwise happened in the natural well, see, look at Paul. He believed that God would give him the words and that he would be set free from the jail cell. And what they would, he wasn't set free. God never gave him any words. And so there that negativity could breed that doubt. And so sometimes we say, well, I hope that God would. With that small element of if he doesn't, then we should have shame. That God chose to answer otherwise. But Paul is saying, I will not be ashamed. I will not be ashamed. Not, my eager expectation and hope is that I, that I will not be at all ashamed. He knew that God would answer in whatever way the answer would come. He would not be ashamed. He would be able to stand firm before them. God would not turn his back on him, nor would he allow him to be ashamed because Christ will be magnify him through him living or through him dying. Whether Paul would live or whether Paul would die, Paul was fixed on this. Christ will be glorified through my life. And truly that's how we should take our perspective in all things. Whether God answer the way I'm asking him to answer or whether God choose another way to answer, God will be glorified. God will be glorified because God always knows best. God always has the best for the situation. God, uh, Paul knew that there was a lot of work to be done. He knew that there were seeds that had been planted and that as soon as that he would be released, he would be going to those different places and that he had follow-up to do. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew of the opportunities that were ahead of him. And so if he were to live, he knew what was 
the mandate before him. Can you imagine being in, in jail for four years? There's a whole lot of people you have to catch up with, isn't there? There's a whole lot of churches that are expecting their apostle to come and give them a refreshing word, give them a testimony, give them something, give them a message of hope. And so he had a whole lot of speaking engagements before him, we could almost say. But he knew, the, he knew of the opportunities. He knew of the challenges that, it, that, it, that awaited him. So whether he was going to live or whether he was going to die, Christ would be glorified. Christ would be glorified. Verses 21 to 26. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. As far as Paul saw it, to live or to die, it was a victory. To live or to die, it was a victory. If he were to die, his death would glorify Christ as being one who was put to death because he preached the gospel. And so therefore, people would look to his life and say, you see, he didn't stop preaching. He didn't stop t telling us about the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ just because of the persecution of possible death on the other side. And so that would bring glory to God. His, also, his, his death would also be a victory because of the way, the way Paul saw it was, if I die, I'm in the immediate presence of the Lord. And so I haven't lost whether I die and my name is spoken of and, and people remember that I delivered the, men, the, the message of the gospel or whether I'm in the immediate presence of the Lord, it is a win-win for me. But, but I'm hard-pressed, but I'm challenged because I see your faces before me. And your faces before me remind me that I have a work to do. Your faces before me remind me that I've been called to this. Your faces before me remind me that I have not just a nearsighted vision of where I am right now, but my farsighted vision speaks to me of what I have yet to do in the name of the Lord. The, the, the dilemma is a desire to be with Christ but a desire to be fruitful for Christ. A desire to be with Christ, as in dying means he's in the eternal presence of the Lord, immediate presence of the Lord, and a desire to be fruitful for Christ, meaning he would go on preaching his word. 
His, his desire to be with Christ was not a desire of hopelessness. It wasn't one that I, I can't take being in this prison cell anymore. It's, it's damp. I, th- this man that I'm, I'm bound to, he's mean, he's gruff. He doesn't even regard himself when he moves. He just moves abruptly and it's been pulling at my arm. I have a sore where the shackle is. He, he's, not, he's not in a place of despondency desiring to be with Christ because he's despondent he's not he's not battling suicidal ideations it's that to be with the presence of the lord knowing that he is not afraid of dying i know where i'm going in that sense Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Paul is saying, my desire to be with with the Lord is not because I am afraid of death. I am not afraid of death. Jesus died the death that we will die in order to conquer over the power of the enemy. And Paul knew that. Paul understood that. He recognized that remaining meant his work was not yet done. If I'm set free from this prison cell, my job's not done. If Caesar hears me and hears everything that I have to say in defense of the gospel, then I know I'm on my way to you. I know I'm bringing the, me- the message home to you. I know I'm on my way to bring you words of encouragement. I know I'm going to make a visitation and we are going to go and we are going to plant more seeds of the gospel. And the church of Christ will continue to grow. We need to walk with that kind of perspective that Paul has. Whether I live or whether I die, Christ will be glorified. Can you imagine, just a side note, if we were to consider, you know, sometimes sickness takes us to the hospital. Sometimes it's a terminal sickness. Sometimes it could be just, let's say, an infection. And we're in that hospital, and the first thing is, is we can't wait to get out because nobody wants to be in the hospitals nowadays. But if God has so allowed us to be there, Perhaps the person in the bed next to us. Perhaps the medical team attending to us, the nurse, the, the, the doctors, the physiotherapists. The, all the medical team, the, the, um, the cleaning staff that would come in the room. Perhaps somebody in that measure needs to hear the message that we know. I think of Sister Grace, she had us praying for a friend of hers that she would go and visit. And this person had fourth stage cancer. But how did she come to know her? Through her field of work. That's you, that is living for the glory of God. That wherever you go, you are carrying the message. You're not begrudging that you're there, but you're realizing that God has you there because There's a message that your life has to give. 
We're going to continue going through this letter and we're going to continue to see what a life centered in Christ looks like as we mature in our faith with the Lord, as, as we continue to grow in him. But what can we take away from Paul's teaching? He could have had a woe is me attitude for being in jail. He could have said, I'm here in jail. I've been falsely accused. I've been here for four years on false accusations. I'm a good man. This isn't fair. But had he have never gone to that jail, some of those centurions, some of those guards would never have heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if he had never gone to that jail, he would never have stood before the emperor. He, if he had never have gone to that jail, Caesar would never have heard the defense of the gospel. So what do we get from just this simple first chapter that Paul sees his life as valuable for the gospel, for the spreading of the gospel, and your life too is valuable for the spreading of the gospel. Wherever you go, you bring that hope. Wherever you go, you bring that perspective of God and seeing things through the eyes of faith. I don't understand why I am here now. I don't understand why these things are happening to me, why they keep happening, and why everything seems to be snowballing. But Lord, as I look through your eyes, as I look through your lens, I'm going to choose to see things through your lens. Lord, would you give me your perspective that I would see the positive in this, that I would see that even those that are trying to make me jealous are actually being used of you to bring the gospel. See, if he never put on the perspective of Christ, he would not have seen that and he would have only seen that as a leader he had to bring correction. He would never have had the opportunity to speak to the guards to share the gospel. When things don't go our way, when we suffer setback, when we suffer what we perceive as a situation of, a, of an obstacle or something that is holding us bound, maybe that's when we need to just pause and say, Lord, how do you want me to see this? Would you give me your eyes to see? That's what we can take away from Paul. Lord, give me your eyes to see. That I may have your perspective on this situation. That I may walk as you would have me to walk. So that, Lord, at the end of the day, you would be glorified. So that at the end of the day, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, what? Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That was Paul's words. So that... You can live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I come to see you or I'm away, let me hear that you're, you're one together. You're working side by side. That the gospel is going forward. What's your perspective tonight? 
Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that through Paul and through this letter, Lord Jesus, that we could find the joy in suffering as Paul saw the joy in suffering. Lord, he could have had a negative attitude. He could have just complained at the situation that he was in in that prison. To be bound for four years, but God, he rejoiced in the gospel being shared. May we rejoice, Lord. May we find joy in our periods of suffering. Lord, in the times when you have us laid up, may we find joy. Lord, in the times when we feel bound, oh God, may we find joy. In our trials and in our testing, Lord, may we put on your lens and see through your lens what you are doing what you are perfecting in us, what you are molding in us, and what you are preparing us for. Because Lord, on the other side of that jail, Paul had a big job ahead of him. But Lord, he walked with greater joy doing that job because of what you carried him through. May we have the same bounce in our step as Paul did. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you that have joined us online, God bless you and God be with you. We thank you for being with us tonight and we invite you to join us here Sunday morning as it's Palm Sunday and we prepare on Palm Sunday for the great day when the Lord came and he came for our salvation. So be ready, come and rejoice with us this Sunday morning. And we look forward to seeing you. God bless you and bye for now. So, anyways, I hope you all were encouraged. <laughs> um, it's always good to uh, maybe pause and, and just... You know what, I think in consideration of Friday night, and um, I, I know that for the past several Wednesdays, I keep bringing Friday night up, but you know why? Because there's also another...